Sonny and I cannot tell you how happy we are to be here, how excited, how many years it's been since we've been here. You know, um, the Lord has given us several fathers in the faith, Sonny and I. The Lord has given us several sons and daughters in the faith. And the Lord has given us several brothers and sisters and colleagues in the faith. But one thing we never had until we met Pastor Sam was a big brother. You know, he's like the big brother, the older brother that we never had. And, uh, I mean, you all know the story that in 2013, in December, I started to pray because I kept hearing Pastor Sam's name everywhere. And I literally began praying in December of 2013, Lord, connect me to Pastor Sam's song. I want to meet him. I want to know him. Somehow I just felt like that, that the Lord was in that, that there was destiny in that. And he called me three months later out of the blue. Literally, I get a phone call. Hi, this is Pastor Sam's song from Solomon's. I'm like, what? (laughs) It was crazy. And that was the first year that we were able to do the the SP retreat. Uh, The fact that we get invited back is we do not take that lightly. It is a huge privilege and opportunity for us uh, to be here with you today. And specifically to celebrate your 20-year anniversary. Like, this is wild. So... You know, I've been praying about this. My wife and I both have been praying about this. And um, there's something on my heart that I want to share with you that I believe will provide some language and a little bit of a framework for understanding what God has already begun to do through your ministry. I want to talk to you over the next couple of days about the second half. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, I'm going to read two verses of Scripture. Uh, The first verse of Scripture is uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Acts 2, 17. This is Peter's Pentecost sermon, and here he's quoting the prophet Joel. And I'm just going to read one verse of this. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. That I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And then the second passage of scripture I want to read to you is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. And I'm reading both of these out of the New King James Version of the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I pray that you'd be the speaker tonight, Holy Spirit. I lay aside my agenda and any any inclination in my mind or heart that I can do this by my own strength or power. And I invite you to come take control. And I pray that you'd open every heart and every soul to any truth that's spoken here tonight, that it'd be sown like seed, and that it would bring forth fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start with David. He says, Who am I and who is my house 
What is my house, my family, that you have brought me this far? David speaks this at an incredibly important moment in his life. It's actually a turning point in his life. It's what begins what I call the second half of David's life. And this turning point, God has brought him a crazy long way. Started in obscurity, where he's by himself out in the field with the sheep. Obviously, the least esteemed member of his house, secretly the most gifted. But nobody sees, nobody knows, but just him and God. And there's a part of him that longs to be discovered. We don't see this yet, but we see it pretty soon. And he is discovered, but he's discovered first by God. And the first person that God reveals him to is this prophet named Samuel. And Samuel was crying and weeping over Saul, the first king of Israel, whose reign was incredibly brief. I mean, his story is as simple as God chose him, he failed God, God rejected him, end of story. That's it. But David's story would be much more complex. And while the prophet Samuel is weeping over the loss of Saul, God comes to Samuel and says, why are you still weeping over Saul? I have found him, Samuel. I found him. I found the guy I've been looking for. I have found my servant David to be a man after my own heart. God discovered him before anyone else discovered him. You see, there's something in all of us that longs to be discovered. When you find yourself in the place of obscurity where nobody sees you, there's something in you that longs to be discovered. But the first truth that that we discern from the life of David is that it's more important to be discovered by God than it is to be discovered by man. God discovers him. God goes to Samuel and says, I found him. I found him, Samuel. I found him out in a field singing praises to me by himself with a harp. He told me that I'm his shepherd, and because I'm his shepherd, he doesn't have to want for anything. He told me that I make him lie down in green pastures and lead him beside still waters and lead him in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Samuel, I found him. He told me that my goodness and mercy are going to follow him all the days of his life and he's going to dwell in my house forever. Samuel, I found the guy I'm looking for. I found him. I found him, Samuel. And I want him to know I found him. So I'm sending you to his house to let him know that I see him. I'm sending you to his house to let him know that he's not undiscovered and unnoticed. I'm sending you to his house so that he knows that he's not crazy. I'm sending you to his house so that he knows that I know him and that I see him and that I'm with him out there in the field by himself where nobody else sees the exploits that he is doing. I I tell him I'm with him when he kills the lion and the bear. I'm with him. He's not alone. And, And Samuel shows up in Bethlehem and the elders of the city tremble at his coming and they meet him at the gate trembling saying, are you coming in peace? They were afraid he was getting ready to expose their sins. They thought he was coming to get his rebuke on. But he says, I've just come to have church with Jesse and his sons. 
So they go find Jesse and they're like, the prophet wants to have church with you and your sons. So he goes to Jesse's house and you all know the story. It's not any of the other brothers. And they have to call for David from the field. And when David comes running in, the the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one that I found, Samuel. Arise and anoint him. And Samuel pours the horn of oil over David's head. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that moment. The anointing comes, but his situation doesn't change. He's got to go back to the field, back to the sheep, back to the place of, adver- of obscurity where he's killing lions and tigers and bears, but nobody sees it. And he's singing the greatest worship songs that have ever been sung in the history of Israel, but nobody hears it. He's recording hit after hit after hit after hit, but nobody hears it but himself. Nobody visits his Spotify. Nobody's on his, his Apple music music page, nothing. It's not out there. He's not known yet. He's still in obscurity until his opportunity comes. When his father sends him with some food to his brothers on the battlefield. And when he gets to the battlefield, he's just supposed to be delivering some snacks, but he hears the giant taunting. And David is like, man, I'll kill that. I don't care how big that fool is. David was from East Oakland. <laughs> and he, you know what I mean? He's like, man, I'll kick him in his kneecap. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just, just talking all kind of crap. You know what I mean? But he's like, isn't somebody going to go out there and kill this fool? And they're like, do you see how big this fool is? And David's like, who cares how big he is? We serve the Lord God. Did you forget who our God is? Shoot. <laughs> Ain't no giant. I don't care how big this fool is. Shoot, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. They were both much bigger than me. I'd rather fight this giant than that lion and that bear. But if God can anoint me to kill a lion, and he's talking all this crazy stuff. And you all know the story. He stands before the giant. This is the moment in which all of the anointing and all of the gifting and all of the goodness and all of the greatness that God has been silently cultivating him in him in the place of obscurity now becomes public. Now he's on the scene. And so he goes from obscurity to public. Suddenly he's got fame. He's got notoriety. He's got a reputation. And he's extrapolating from there the fulfillment of the promise that God gave him through the prophet Samuel. He's saying, okay, stage one is military stage. I got to go out and kill some people and, you know, lead some armies and win some wars. And then stage two, maybe I'll become like a senator or something, you know, like he's kind of extrapolating his way forward. You know, you got to, you don't just go straight to the king's, you know, the king ship, right? You know, you got to like work your way up the corporate ladder and you know what I mean? He's extrapolating his way forward. But the next thing he knows, spears are flying at him. And the Lord takes him backward. It's like the opposite happens. Instead of becoming king, the king is trying to kill him. Instead of being exalted, he's running for his life. God spoke over him and said, you're going to shepherd my people Israel. But now he's an outlaw and a fugitive in Israel. He's running for his life. And you all know the story that at a certain point, he defects to the Philistines. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit before this week is over, so I'm not going to go into that tonight. And at a certain point, 
he gets word that King Saul is dead and that he's been being invited back to Israel to become first king of Judah and then he's anointed king of all of Israel. And he now goes into conquest mode where he starts defeating all of the enemies that have lined up against Israel on every side. And then he sees this hill that's occupied by the Jebusites. It's called Jerusalem. He says, that's going to be home right there. And he takes the city of Jerusalem, drives out the Jebusites, builds a house of cedar for himself, a mansion, establishes a city there. He's got peace on all sides from all of his enemies. He's built himself a house. And now he thinks, you know what we need to do right here in Jerusalem? We need to build a house for God. How is it that I live in a house made of cedar, but God lives in a tent? The tabernacle of Moses... That's still all we've got. How is that the case? How is that okay? How is my house better than God's house? How do I live in a nicer house than God lives in? And he calls the prophet Nathan up. He goes, come holler at your boy for a minute. By the way, I I love the shower caps on these microphones. First, I thought it was a do-rag. I was like, man, this is a thug's microphone. Nathan shows up, he says, what's poppin'? David says, I got a vision. I got a vision. Nathan, I got a vision. Nate Dogg said, what's your vision? He said, "Uh, how is it that I live in a house of cedar, but God lives in a tent? You feel me? Nathan said, say less. Do what's in your heart. The Lord is with you. And David was like, for real? Nathan was like, for real? So David now is at home. He's like sketching stuff out. He's like, this is going to be the best temple that anybody's ever seen. I mean, we're going to have the finest craftsmen. This temple's going to be the bomb. And I know the kids don't say that anymore. But that's okay. There ain't no kids here. <laughs> and Nathan goes home. And God speaks to Nathan. And says, go back and tell my servant David. No. Go back and tell my servant, David, I know you want to build a house for me, but I don't need that from you. Go back and tell my servant, David, I know you got a vision, but it's not going to happen. It's not for you. Go back and tell my servant, David, that my answer to him is no. No to this vision. Tell my servant David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Nathan goes back to David. And he tells David what God says. 
which is the opposite of all David's plans. I mean, this was the burning desire of his heart. He wanted this more than anything, and God said no. This is the turning point. When God says no to your vision, this is the turning point. How you respond to that is the turning point. This is the end of the first half for David and the beginning of the second half, but the character of the second half is going to be determined by his response in this moment when God says no, because until that moment, God had not said no to anything David wanted. But now this, the deepest desire of his heart, the thing that his heart beat for, throbbed for, that he wanted more than anything else, to build a house for the Lord, and God says no. You're not building me a house, David. I'm building you a house. God's no's are even more important than his yeses. Because when God says no to a vision, he says no in order to make space for a dream. And how does David respond? It says he went in and he sat before the Lord and said, who am I? And what is my house that you've brought me this far? Translation, I don't even deserve to be here. How could I be mad at you for not giving me the next thing that I want? You didn't have to give me anything. Let's do it your way, God. I'm cool with it. David, when God said no, David surrendered. And that's, that marked the transition point in his life. This transition point that transpires in the life of David is analogous to what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This prophecy that Peter quotes here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And then he says this, your young men will see visions, but your old men will dream dreams. When you're a young man, you're going to see visions, but when you become an old man, you're going to dream dreams. David, at this moment, transitions from the visions of his youth to the dreams of his agedness. And the difference between visions and dreams is that when you get a vision from God, it's about what you're going to do by God's power. But when you get a dream from God, it's a dream of what only God can do by God's power. When God transitions you from visions to dreams, he takes you out of the equation and says, you're not going to do this, but I'm going to give you the privilege of dreaming about it. It's not for your generation, it's for the next generation, David. You're going to dream about it for the rest of your life, but you'll never see it. You know that God is moving you from visions to dreams when he begins to speak to you about things that will not even transpire in your lifetime. 
He says, your son is going to do it, David. Not you, your son. I've made you a man of war. I'm making him a builder. I've called you for war. I've called him to build. And so, David, I'm inviting you to dream with me now. You've visioned with me all this time, but now I'm inviting you to lay aside your visions and embrace my dreams. You see, the problem is you cannot dream with God when you're still trying to vision with God. When God is shifting you out of visioning with him to dreaming with him, you've got to let go of your visions in order to embrace his dreams. And we resist that transition. We resist it with all of our might because there's still stuff I want to do. There's still stuff I want to see. There's still stuff I want to accomplish. There's still stuff in me that hasn't been discovered yet, that hasn't manifested yet. I still want to hold on to my visions. And God says, trust me. Trust me. It's so much better if you embrace my dreams. It's so much better if you exchange your visions for my dreams. I'm telling you, it's so much better. But you got to hear me say no to your visions before you hear me say yes to my dreams. SP, for the first 20 years of your history, God has given you visions. But now God is going to begin to give you dreams. And God is inviting you as a body to transition from visions to dreams. Hear me tonight. Which means that you should never again ask the question, what's the vision? What's the vision, Pastor Sam? What's the vision? What's the vision? What's the vision for this? What's the vision for that? Instead, begin to ask, what's the dream? What's the dream? And the difference between the vision and the dream is the dream is not actionable. There's nothing you can do to bring about the dream. Nothing you can do to fulfill it. Your 10-year plan, your 20-year plan, throw it out the window. It's not going to fulfill the dream. There's no way to extrapolate yourself into the God dream. God will give you a dream that's bigger than your 10-year plan, that blows your 20-year plan out of the water, that even a 100-year plan cannot contain the dreams that God will begin to give you for the next generation. Now watch what happens when David embraces the dream. And surrenders his vision to God. What happens immediately? Does he just sit back and say, well, I guess this is it. I guess this is all I get. It's all up to Solomon now. I'm just going to watch TV for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, all right. My, my, you know, my, my, uh, my son, he's going to do the building. So I guess my ministry's over. No. That was actually the beginning of the real ministry of David. You know what he starts doing from that day forward? Till that moment, he was fighting for his life. Fighting for his survival. Fighting for freedom from his enemies. Fighting for peace in his land. He was fighting very low-level, practical battles. You know what he's fighting for from that moment? You go to the very next chapter, you know what he's fighting for? Gold and silver that will be put into a treasury for the house of the Lord that his son will build. 
And you just go to chapter 8 and you start reading about the gold and the silver. He takes the gold shields from the servants of Hadadezer and, and dedicates them to the Lord. And then the king of Toy comes and brings gold and silver. And De- David immediately dedicates it to the Lord. And it says in chapter 8 verse 11 that all of the gold and silver that he took as tribute from the nations, he dedicated it to the Lord. He's like, now I know what my calling is. Now I know what I'm fighting for. I am fighting for gold and silver because by God, I'm going to fill these treasuries so that when it's time to build the house that God has dreamed of, all of the resources will be here. SP, do you realize that from this day forward, you're going to begin to fill treasuries of gold and silver for a house that you will never build? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is it. There's a lot more that God has for you. But what I'm saying is, is that everything that you are doing and everything that you are building is for something far bigger than what you will see in your ministry, in your lifetime. God is calling you for the next generation and to begin to dream of something far bigger and far greater. Now David gets tripped up along the way and loses sight of God's dream a couple times. First time, had to do with his son Absalom. Because see, David, the mistake David made was he thought Absalom was the one. And because he thought Absalom was the fulfillment of the promise, he tolerated stuff from Absalom that he never should have tolerated. There were so many times throughout Absalom's life that David should have put him in check. And David never put him in check. Why? Because in the back of his head, he's like, well, maybe, you know, if I just like have mercy on him and, you know, just like if I just wait, maybe God will change his heart. I'm just giving God room to change his heart because he's the one. Even to the point where when Saul, when Absalom drove David out of the kingdom, David left. Well, okay. I mean, God said he's going to do it through my son. And well, maybe this is God's way of doing it through my son. Even though it didn't sit right with him, he wanted Absalom to be the one so badly that he was willing to tolerate even to the extent of almost losing the kingdom for Absalom. And when Absalom was killed, oh my God, David was wailing and weeping and mourning for Absalom. All because he misunderstood the identity of Absalom. He still thought, this is it. This is the dream. I'm going to watch Absalom do it. Absalom's the guy. And Absalom wasn't the one that God chose. And the second time he got tripped up was with Bathsheba. He got bored because he was just winning every battle too easily. He's like, this is too easy. I've defeated everybody. Why even go to war anymore? So the next time the battle came, he's like, you guys just go on without me. We don't even have to go into the whole story. We know what happened. You know, he went up on the roof and scrolled over to www.whattheheckamidoinghere.com. 
I mean, that's a big mistake. I mean, that's not even a mistake. It's like, you know, I embellished my resume. No, you didn't embellish your resume. You lied about your whole life. David didn't just like make a mistake. This was not an oops. You killed the, the woman's husband. First you got her pregnant. Then you killed her husband. I mean, this was David's worst failure. She gets pregnant. The baby dies. God's judgment. David goes to comfort her after the death of the baby, after the mourning and the grieving. Brings her to his palace. She becomes his wife. And then she gets pregnant again and has another son. David names him Solomon, but the Lord names him Jedidiah. It says the Lord loved him and named him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. That man becomes the heir. David's worst failure became the source of fulfillment. How can God bring fulfillment out of failure? To the extent that without that failure, they would, there would not have been that fulfillment. Wrap that around your head. Try to theologize that. Well, then God intended that. No, no, don't even get into that. I mean, it was like, I don't even want to start thinking about that. You know what I mean? It's like, you just don't wrap. It's just the mercy and the grace of God that God is able to reach into your worst failures and, and pull out of it his greatest fulfillments. That's how powerful God is. Solomon. Now watch this. When David makes Solomon king, this is the last verse I'm going to give you tonight. First Chronicles chapter 29. David makes Solomon king, and now David's giving a speech. Sits him on the throne. And listen to what David says here in First Chronicles chapter 29. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord. The temple is not for SP, but for the Lord. The temple is not, literally David is saying, the temple is not for Israel. It's for the Lord. The temple is not for us. It's for the Lord. Notice David is saying this at the end of his life. He knows that his days are numbered. And now everything is crystal clear. We are not building a temple for ourselves. We're not building a reputation for ourselves. That was the Tower of Babel. We're not building a name for ourselves. Once again, Tower of Babel. The work is great because the temple is for the Lord and not for man. And until we get that in our heads, we have not yet become the church of the living God. 
because it's so natural for us as the church to dream of building a temple for the church. We need a bigger facility. We need more space. We need a better sound system. We need a larger stage. We need better children's facilities. We need better instruments. We need, we need, we need. So let's build a temple for us. David, now at the end of his life, everything's become crystal clear. The temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Verse 2, now, for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. With this statement, David defines the second half. From the moment Nathan came to him and said no to his vision, David says, for the last how many years since I received that prophecy from Nathan, I have prepared for the house of the Lord with all my might. Preparing for a house that I will never step foot in, but the Lord will. With all my might, Gold for things to be made of gold. Silver for things of silver. Bronze for things of bronze. Verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. David says, I have two treasuries. One, I've been saving for God. And two, that's mine. My own bank account. My own money pit. My, 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 own, my own treasuries of gold and silver says they all be, belong to God. I've given it all to God right now. All of it. And then he lists it all out. 3,000 talents of gold and on and on. And then David ends with this. The end of verse 5. Who then is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? You know what happens? An outpouring from Israel. People bringing their gold and their silver and their precious things. David goes home to be with God with so much joy. Why? Because of the battles he fought? No. At the end of his life, he's not rejoicing in his visions that came to pass. He's rejoicing that God let him participate in his dreams. At the end of your life, what will matter is not your visions, but God's dreams. Dreams that are bigger than you. When God came to Abram, the first thing he gave him were dreams. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. When he named him Abraham, father of many nations, he gave him a dream. Your children will be like the sands of the sea. He never saw it, but he participated in the dream because he believed God. 
and he partnered with God and he obeyed God. Your obedience to God is participation not in a vision, but in a dream. And so often our churches are dream, are, are vision driven. Vision driven. I've got a vision for a, a, a nicer facility and I've got a vision for this and I've got a vision for technology and I've got a vision for design and I've got a vision for the arts and I've got a vision for influence in our community and I've got a vision for government and a vision for this and a vision for that. And our, our churches are vision driven and that's okay in the first half. That's okay. But in every ministry, there's a moment in which God brings about a shift and says, I'm taking you beyond vision. I'm taking you to now to dreams. Now I'm inviting you to dream with me. You're going to begin to dream of things to come, things that your eyes will not see, things that are great, that you will never be able to extrapolate how they will come to pass. You won't be able to see it, but you're going to see it with me in the spirit. And then you're going to begin to prepare with all your might. And I say to you today, SP, that there are many more battles for you to fight and many more battlefields for you to stand on and many more victories that God will win on your behalf. But your minds and hearts will be focused on the dream, not the vision. And all God's looking for is the heart of David. When David receives that word from Nathan, he just sits before the Lord and he goes, who am I that you brought me this far? Who am I that you brought me this far? SP, God has brought you from a mighty long way. You being where you are right now, the fruitfulness God has given you among the nations, completely improbable 20 years ago. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. The places you're in around the world, it don't make no sense. It's because God gave Pastor Samsung a vision. And it's because you stood with that vision. And God used you to fulfill vision after vision after vision. But I say to you by the word of the Lord that your latter days will be greater than your former. And that the dreams that God will give you in the days to come will far exceed by orders of magnitude any vision that God has ever given you. All you need is all you need is a heart that is ready to say to God, "Yes." I say yes to your dreams. And I lay aside all my visions. I surrender them all to you. And whenever God does say no to one of your visions, embrace it as promotion. Because that's what David got. The moment God said no to David's vision to build the house, that was David's moment of promotion. And because he received it as such, 
When God said, I'll build you a house, and then God began to expand upon that, he said, you'll never fail to have a son who sits on the throne. That's where the promise of the Messiah coming as the son of David came. Because David thought he was just saying yes to his son Solomon building the temple instead of himself. But what he was actually saying yes to was God saying, I'm going to give you a house that's going to extend into eternity. That even Jesus Christ, the son of the living God sitting on the throne in heaven is known eternally as the son of David. Come on, somebody. Woo! That's so much better than building a little house of cedar that wouldn't even be here today. God's plans for you are so much bigger than any plans you could concoct for yourself. So much greater. Amen. Bow your heads and let's pray. If somebody could just come to the keyboard. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that whatever was spoken here tonight that was of you, that it would stick in every heart and every mind. The scripture says the words of the wise are like firmly embedded nails. Father, whatever was spoken of you tonight, let it be like a firmly embedded nail in every heart. And whatever was not of you, that it would be washed away. I thank you tonight for this house that your hands have established, for this ministry that you ordained before the foundation of the world, that you saw this ministry, that this house, you ordained it, you determined it. Father, I thank you. Every step of a righteous man is ordered by God. The plans of a man's heart are like deep waters. The man of understanding draws them out. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the will of God that prevails. And Lord, to this very day, your will has prevailed here at Solomon's Porch. And I thank you that the will of God will continue to prevail through this congregation, through this people. The will of God will continue to prevail. Tonight, as a body, we say yes to your dreams. We say yes to your dreams. We make the shift tonight in the name of Jesus. No more clamoring after visions. Now it's simply saying yes to the dream. Yes to the dream. And Father, I pray that the dream of the Lord would begin to be revealed in this house. The scripture says that the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Father, I pray that you would begin to reveal the secrets of the Lord to those that fear you. The secrets of the Lord to those that fear you. Secrets of things to come. Secrets of things present. Even secrets of things past. That the dream of the Lord would throb in this congregation. And that it would not be mixed with flesh. With any inclination of the heart that says, we can build this ourselves. We can do this ourselves. We can make this happen. But Father, I pray that the dream would throb and that the the dream would be so great that the corporate cry of this house would be, we can't do it by our own power. It's bigger than us. It's greater than us. But thank God it's not bigger than our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God that the sons and daughters of this house would be like Abraham when you promised him that his descendants would be like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. And Abram believed the Lord 
and it was accounted to him as righteousness. God, you gave him a dream and all he had to do was say yes. And you said you're righteous. That that is the definition of righteousness that God is establishing in this house. That God says, I'm going to give you a dream that's so great, that's so awesome, that you know that you could work for a lifetime and never fulfill it. But I'm calling you to see it and to believe it, to dream it with me and just say, yes, I believe you. I believe you. And Abram believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And Pastor Sam believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That your name would be lifted, listed in that place. Lord, let it be said that I believe the Lord. That I believe the Lord. That when God came to me and gave me a dream, I believe the Lord. I believe the Lord. That I wouldn't laugh as Sarah laughed. And the Lord said, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? She pretended not to laugh. But God said, no, you laughed. Guess what? The word of the Lord came to pass a year later. The aged woman held a son and she named him Isaac. Laughter. Father, I pray that we would be like men and women who dreamed. Scripture says, when the Lord brought back the captives from Zion, we were like men who dreamed. God, I pray that you would do something in this next season here at Solomon's porch that would be like a dream. That we would say, man, God did something that we never thought he could do. He did something we never could have envisioned. We never could have strategized it. There's not a consultant in all the world that could have showed us how to do this. There's no way we could have fundraised for this. It's bigger than anything we could have put together. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God, today we exchange our visions for your dreams and we cast down our visions at your feet even as the four and twenty elders cast down their golden crowns. We cast down our visions at your feet, oh God. We surrender them. And we receive. We receive your dreams. We open our heart. We open our minds. We open our souls and we say yes to the dreams of the Lord. The dreams the dreams the dreams the dreams of the Lord hallelujah I thank you God I thank you God that there's freedom in this house tonight freedom the vision has been such a burden but the dream sets you free the vision is a burden the dream is freedom the dream is freedom I don't know how it's going to be done, but I know God's going to do it. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I know we're going there. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. Why? Because he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. For when God made the promise to Abraham, because there was no one greater that he could swear by, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Men, therefore, Men swear by the greater, and the oath for them ends all discussion. But God, seeking to make the unchanging nature of his promise more abundantly clear to the heirs of promise, swore it with an oath, so that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to lay hold of the hope held out for us might be greatly encouraged. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Father, tonight I pray that you would lift us up above our dreams, above our visions, into the realm of your dreams. I thank you for it, Father. And I pray for anyone who's sick in this house tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, anyone who might have severe pain in their head. Throbbing, constricting pain in the head. Is there anybody here who has that? Throbbing, constricting pain in your head. I saw something like a like a steel band wrapped around your head. It was like just getting tighter and tighter. It was just pain. Anyone here? No? Anyone in the live stream? If so, put it in the chat. And we're going to pray for you if there is a chat. Father, we worship you tonight. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. 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 And let's stand to our feet and let's sing together. And, you know, Pastor Benjamin shared a lot of stuff. I'm still processing, man. It's like, I think it was way over my head, dude. <laughs> but by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, so let's just go before the Lord and let's worship and let's just ask the, the words of the Lord to really sink into our, our, our very hearts and, and to have an effect on us, huh? expected never behind so why would I be surprised when you deliver every time you come you come at the right time when I least expected Never behind So why Would I be surprised When you deliver Every time 
mountain tops you stay the same in valleys low you never change and I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord I'm confident as seasons change your faithfulness remains oh, oh, oh. you go before me Go before me to prepare the blessing you made away. It's more than I could imagine, more than I can fathom or comprehend. On mountain you stay.
close our eyes. Lord, we're just so thankful, God, for the last 20 years, Lord, and how we look forward to the next 20, God. Lord, we ask, Lord, uh, above everything else, God, that you would just simply have mercy on us, Lord, and use us, God, in whatever capacity. Lord, you remind us today, God, that we're grateful for the vision, Lord, but now release the dream, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, upon our hearts, God, upon this church. Continue to do a deep, deep work, Lord. We thank you, God. We are already so blessed by you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you, yeah, praise God. Thank you. Pastor Benjamin, for that word. Uh, tomorrow night we have service again, uh, but tonight, you know, uh, we're going to be dismissed. But if you want to receive some prayer, you know, our pastors will be here, you know, PB will be here. You can just come up and we'll want to minister to you. Um, but, you know, the rest of us, you guys can uh, feel free to go. They're going to turn the electricity off at 1030, I hear, right, for uh, stuff going on. But it's, it's okay. So if you want to come up, you know, please do. And and we'll minister to you. But for us to have a wonderful night, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Uh, God bless you guys.